Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar. Hello from me, Richard Heller, in a rather chilly southeast London. Apologies from Peter, who is unavoidably absent. Very grateful again to our friend Roger Alton, distinguished former editor and our sports correspondent of The Spectator, for uh, stepping in. Roger, welcome to the podcast. Thanks again. Uh, uh, thanks very much. Yeah, Roger Alton here. I'm in um, Dulwich and it's uh, uh, pretty gloomy. You wouldn't want to be sort of uh, facing anybody, particularly <laughs> this morning. But I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, hoping Ben Stokes repeats that when he plays for England, I must say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're very glad to welcome today Isabel Westbury. Isabel, in a very short time, has become a very distinguished cricket writer and broadcaster. Uh, she writes regularly on cricket for The Telegraph and for other publications. Uh, she had a career in um, women's cricket herself earlier on. Uh, she's also a um, professional lawyer. She brings a great deal of knowledge and perspective on cricket, and we're looking forward to um, talking with her today. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. I, the, thing, the only thing I'd add to that is say that I found out pretty quickly that I was better at talking about cricket than I was actually playing it. And that's, <laughs> that's the only reason, really. Well, it's an awful lot of people like that. <laughs> this is rather fortuitous because... Um, Roger has just written about the extraordinary explosion in the viewership of women's uh, sport in um, uh, in his column in The Spectator this very week. And we've just seen some figures from the Women's Sports Trust to suggest that the viewership of women's sport generally is at an all-time high in the first quarter of 2022 in this country. And this has been largely propelled by the Women's World Cup coverage. You've just um, written fairly extensively about the Women's World Cup. Just wondered first if you'd noticed any specific figures for the viewership of the um, Women's World Cup. Have, have, have they been any been published yet? Do you know of? I haven't seen anything specific, but um, I, from what I've heard, just around the place, whether it be viewing figures coming from the subcontinent in India or even from the UK, bearing in mind that the World Cup was in New Zealand, so it was horrendous timings. Really, I think mm. matches starting very early in the morning. Um, it was all extremely positive, and, and I think actually it's it's a lovely place to start a conversation about women's cricket because I think quite often you can find yourself in a place where. I don't know if nitpicking is the right word, but we're always, there's always something wrong and it's always, um, it can be quite demoralising sometimes when you think, oh, there's, compared to men's sport, women's sport still has so far to go and there's still so much inequality. But actually, sometimes you need to flip that perspective around and think, we're here now and look in a space of 10 years, five years, even two years ago, how much progress, how much further women's sport has come and to actually remind ourselves to celebrate that as well because otherwise it can very quickly become very draining and very demoralizing when you think about how much there's still to go and I think from a broad perspective women's sport and this isn't just cricket I'm you know thinking football the women's sick nation that's just been going on that whether it be viewing figures the investment the sponsorship it's it's in a it's well it's in a better place than it's ever been and it's only going to get better so yeah, definitely a, a positive outlook as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the, the Six Nations, which finished in Bayonne with England winning, that was sold out. 
Um, I mean, so that's 18,000. You have the fight, uh, the Katie Taylor fight, selling out Madison Square Garden, even slightly papered house. But that's a lot of people. That's 19,000 people. And the football, the uh, Champions League uh, equivalent, Barcelona sold out when they beat Wolfsburg, I think, they're 90,000. I mean, that's a lot of people. I mean, even if you're giving a lot away free, that is an awful lot of people yeah, turning it's... up. And I think these things really matter. Yeah, eyeballs. And I think, would it be school kids, which great next generation coming, giveaways, whatever. I think if it's a combination of many different reasons, if there's just more people watching women's sport and realising that, and I think this, well, I'm sure we'll come to this later, a bugbear of mine is, it's not women's sport, it's sport. And and I think the the quicker we get to that sort of realisation that, because I think quite often, whether it be even the, the newspaper that I've written for a number of times, Telegraph, there is a distinction between sport, which is always going to be the men's sport, and then there's a sort of silo of women's sport. And actually, we're all playing sports. And if we can just have more coverage of women's sport within that, then then we're not even going to be talking about gender equality and gender neutral, whatever. We'll all be in the same boat. And and I think I think we are getting there. But, I mean, you've got to sort of somehow, if you hear a radio thing saying um, uh, Chelsea lost to Barcelona 4-1 in the Champions League final, I think, Christ, I missed that. Then it is, it's the women's Champions League. Does that, is that a problem? I mean, I, I sort of think, I think it might be. I think there are times when you do need to distinguish, but there's also yeah. times when it's obvious. The only thing I'd say is that if there was a news bulletin that said Champions League final, if we're going to say the Women's Champions League final, then we should also be saying the Men's Champions League final. Yeah. Because otherwise yeah. we're normalising, so the norm is the men and the other is the woman. But if yeah. if, we're, if we're using the same, if we have, my, my approach to coverage of women's sport and men's sport is to do it the same way. So if I'm sticking a woman in front of something, so like the Premier League, the Women's Premier League, which is obviously it's the Super League, that I want to say the Men's Premier League. And and my my view essentially, and I'm not a sort of extremely politically correct. Everything needs to be uh, mm. equal, etc. It's 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 you know, women and men are not the same for many different reasons, and we should celebrate that. But we should approach the coverage in the same manner. So if it's a men's sport, if we talk about women's sport, we also talk about men's sport um, because it just it just means. So at the moment, if you think about media coverage of sport in general, this you know, I think the figures. Are still quite bad if you compare the amount, the proportion of coverage of men's sport compared to women's sport. It's you know we're talking about single figure percentages of women's sport. So if you were to flick on the television or to open your newspaper, the chances are it's still going to be men's sport that you're looking at. So if you if you're just a, a young kid growing up, you're going to see the norm is going to be men's sport. So if we can distinguish and and make it obvious that there is women's sport and men's sport and we refer to them in the same way, then the closer we come to equality, quicker. And it's no <laughs> detriment. And it's the same with like terminology, is that I hated the word batter as opposed to batsman at the start because I just didn't like it and, you know, batter my fish or whatever. <laughs> but then I started thinking, well, actually, if it's going to be a more inclusive term, um, using batter rather than batsman and to be honest it's not any detriment to me saying batter as opposed to batsman and even if it sounds a bit awkward you'll get used to it then why on earth wouldn't I because it's no detriment to me and if it has any chance of helping somebody feel more included then fine why not 
I mean, why are we all het up about it, to be honest? But is it, is it, I think it was a very good thing, Basil. It's absolutely fine. Yeah, also. It's, it's certainly it's catching on. You see it, you see yeah. it far more often. Yeah. And that's it. In a few years' time, we won't, even talk, we won't even be talking about it. And that's that's what we want to get to, is that this isn't even part of the conversation. It's just the norm. Yeah. Um, I just want to come back to the Women's World Cup. Uh, Isabel, you mentioned one story in association with the Women's World Cup that probably should be better known. Hmm. And perhaps you'd like to make it better known to our listeners. And that was the exclusion of Thai women from the final. Uh, They were on course to qualify before the pandemic. And then, if I understand things rightly, the ICC sort of made up a new rule, um, which um, ruled out all their achievements thus far and judged them against... In effect, the performance of the Thai men's team is that is that a, an accurate way of putting it? Or well, the, 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 I'd say it didn't. The ICC didn't make up a new rule. I think they were um, they were using existing inequality in their sort of structures and ranking system um, that meant that Thailand. It's quite a long story in, in a way, but, but basically there was a, a qualification tournament for the World Cup that went that happened in New Zealand, won by Australia in um, in April, March, April this year that Thailand women were in the qualifying, um, the qualifiers, they were doing extremely well. COVID came along and the, the tournament had to be scrapped. That, that's part of everyday life right now. Perfectly fine. But um, the only way in which the ICC could essentially rank the teams to qualify for this tournament, having for, qualify for the World Cup, having not finished the qualifiers, was to go back to existing structures of ODI rankings which currently are based on um, largely on the the status of the men's team. So if you're a full test playing nation, which is done according to to, to men's cricket, then you will have an ODI ranking. So we have this slightly farcical position where the non-existent Afghanistan women's team uh, have ODI status, having never actually played and not looking like they're going to play in the foreseeable future compared to Thailand who are much more progressed in the women's uh, development of cricket compared to their men's team, who haven't at the moment even got chance of getting ODI status. Having said that, literally last week, I think the ICC made an announcement that they would be awarding um, ODI status to more women's teams. They have not specified who or how, um, which is quite often the case with the ICC. It's <laughs> a nice vague line coming from some ether. Um <laughs> So, yeah, it's it's basically Thailand had won. I think they'd beaten two full member nations, Zimbabwe and Bangladesh. They were they looked like they were on course to qualify for the World Cup. They played in the T20 World Cup a couple of years ago, were one of the real good sort of uh, good stories coming out of women's cricket. And, and I think that's something to touch on is that women's cricket, it offers a huge amount of development that the men's game, which we think is still based quite strictly around Commonwealth structures, when you think about the powerhouses of men's cricket, the Indias, England's, Australia's, women's cricket hasn't really got that history. And so you can have teams like Thailand, like Brazil, like China even, coming in from sort of non-traditional nations that can quite quickly, with relatively little investment, progress up this ladder um, and really expose cricket to a much broader audience in the Americas as well. If we're thinking about trying to grow the game, women's cricket could be a really easy vehicle to do that. And so to Thailand, having been a, a sort of feel-good story, um, it was really unfortunate that they they haven't they didn't even get the chance to qualify for the World Cup when really they're one of the better teams and should be on merit. And and, and even more worryingly, they, they haven't had the um the chance to to qualify 
I think for the ICC Women's Championship, which they could then go and 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 rise up ODI rankings. That, the ICC, it sounds like they've taken heed and this will change. But as things were for this particular tournament, um, Thailand were rather scuppered based on existing inequality on a structure that was largely due to men's cricket. But I mean, that's an anomaly, uh, Isabel, which is sort of easily fixed in an instant. And as you, you suggest, that's what's happening. Can I ask, why is cricket, women, cricket so big in Thailand, for example, it's, and, and Brazil? I'm very, women's cricket, I'm very, just very interesting. Why is that? I think it goes back to the, it requires very little investment to, to um, climb up relatively speaking, I guess, the, the women's ladder. And I think it's something that, you know, credit to the ICC and, and the development of the women's game. T20 is, again, relatively little investment. You can, it's it's fun, it's it's easier to understand. You can, it's, it's quick. Um, and I think there's, it's been a sort of targeted approach of let, let, let's just get cricket being played, money into the governing bodies. And I think, one of the reasons that I, I love cricket in terms of what it can do for gender equality in a way is that it's almost the perfect sport to, to be used as a vehicle of gender equality across huge different cross-sections of society in that it's non-contact. You don't need... To, you, can, you can play it in pretty much any attire. So if you needed to wear covered clothing, for example, or something over your head absolutely it shouldn't really be um prohibitive to you playing and you can play it mixed at a young age and there isn't you know i played boys cricket until the age of um well pretty much throughout school and it's only when you get to 17 18 when the the sort of physiological elements start to come in but before that you know i was just as quick and hit as hard and something you know women actually quite often go through puberty earlier than, mm. than boys and so in many ways, it's it's a great vehicle to get women in, throughout the world involved in sport. And and, I'm, and, and Richard and, I, and Peter, I, I know, has been heavily involved with women uh, or covering the story of women's cricket in refugee camps, for example, uh, with refugees coming from Syria, for those based in the, the Lebanon. In, in quite conservative societies, cricket could really be a vehicle to get a woman healthier and more active and be a, a vehicle for, for gender equality. That's an idea. I mean, would there ever be a cricket team in Afghanistan, a women's cricket team in Afghanistan? Well, notionally there is, Roger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yes. I think, you know, before the the Taliban takeover last summer, there there was definitely this, you know, they definitely looked as though there was uh, a move towards a women's cricket team. And um, again, strictly speaking, to be a full test playing nation under the ICC's rules, you have to have a men, a women's cricket team yeah. as much as a men's. But it, it did seem to be on the right track. It does. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't whether it could ever be a women's cricket team in Afghanistan under the Taliban regime that I probably could not answer. Uh, but I, I remain optimistic that there, sh- there should and could be. I do worry that the ICC's stance of letting Afghanistan men uh, carry on unperturbed with their full test status does nothing to help. Um, I, I understand a lot of the arguments that we don't want to detriment this wonderful, you know, feel-good story of Afghanistan men's cricket. But my my response to all that is, you know, what about the Rashid Khan of, of women's cricket? They haven't even had a chance to become that Rashid Khan sure, figure. Sure. And we talk so much so, about denying men opportunity. Well, I mean, hello, welcome to the last forever <laughs> where women have been denied opportunity. 
and and I think that's that's the real travesty is we we, we frame all conversation and you know I, I you know there's some very good articles written about what the plight of the men's Afghanistan team around last summer Michael Afton's been very vocal about it and it's been brilliant but again the the women's aspect and the opportunity for women has just been completely ignored and almost you know it's it's uh, it's an, it's a bonus an added bonus and I think it should be integral. Um, if we look at the, the wider world beyond sports in sort of conflict and, uh, you know, women in conflict has now become a sort of major talking point. And, you know, you can't use women and the sexualization and it's not a sort of add on. And so we want to try and stop that as well as stopping conflict. It is the central talking point. Whereas and I think in sport, we're still it's still like a nice to have women are still a women's cricket, women's sport is still a, a nice add on at the end, but not actually. It should be contingent on women's sport. It shouldn't be a bonus. And I think that's that's the disappointing thing at the moment. I mean, the, looking at Afghanistan, I mean, the situation for Afghans generally, men and women and children, is absolutely desperate, isn't it, Isabel? I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're starving and, and bankrupt. I don't suppose um, sport is very high up anybody's priorities oh, at the moment, is it? Of course. And I think, you know, uh, it's very important to clarify that everything I talk about here is from the perspective of sport. I mean, I think there's there's far more important things that that one could be talking about um, beyond the world of sport. But in the in the context of sport, is that if if you let things slip in one arena, you let things slip in the whole arena. Um, if we sort of think that women are a, a happy bonus in sport, then women become a happy bonus in the rest of life. And I think one thing is reflection is reflection of the other. Um, so, so yes, don't get me wrong. There are there are horrific things going that far go far beyond sport. But in the context of sport, women should not be a bonus. Very true. And, the, and after all, the ICC is responsible for cricket. It's not responsible for the rest right. of what goes on. Unless we're talking about the in, other in ICC, which yes. of course, oh, the, the, yes. sometimes when I Google um, ICC and I forget that I haven't specified cricket, and you come to the International Criminal Court, which happens also frequently with the ECB. Mm-hmm. And uh, and no, I don't really know want to know what the European, um, <laughs> <laughs> the Euro, European Central Bank is doing. But uh, yeah. but anyway. <laughs> But we've heard a lot of pieties. I've I've read a lot of pieties uh, from the International Cricket Council about um, women's cricket in Afghanistan, but I've, I haven't seen any sort of practical steps, and I haven't even seen that their their mission to Afghanistan has actually travelled in the country and, and and observed how women cricketers and spectators are treated, or how anybody's any cricketers and and um, spectators and supporters are being treated. But um, perhaps I'm wrong. <laughs> Um, going back to the Women's World Cup, it seems to me the Women's World Cup was very much a case of Australia versus everybody. Mm. Um, England came second. England quite a distance ahead of uh, everybody else. What do you think's made women's cricket so strong in Australia and England compared mm-hmm. to everybody else? Well, I think you know, there's the big things of funding and prioritization i think there's been a real concerted effort especially in australia to to get the professionalization of the domestic game first and the, and the international scene as well to get a, a bigger playing base and and to start again going back to what i talked about at the beginning is treating men's if you if you do something for men's sport you do it for women's sport and we've seen that with the the growth of the the big bash league in australia the women's one and the men's one sort of one one club two teams kind of approach 
and yeah i think it's a you know, culturally and financially it, they are two quite progressive countries that have channeled a lot of funding and attention are starting to to look at the way that they can improve the women's game and realizing actually the key thing is realizing that if you grow the women's if you grow women's cricket you grow cricket and that goes back to that you know we every time we see sort of figures about grassroots cricket in England and it's declining etc well actually the one area of growth is women's cricket so if we want this this sport to not just survive but but thrive you don't want to be discounting 50% of the population so in, in a way it's just a a common sense business approach is you know, if, if, if you want it to do well and prosper, then you might as well um, start from a bigger playing base as possible. England lost their opening three games, didn't they? Mm. So that would have done good things for the teams who beat them. I, I mean, you know, that if you can beat England, who were the losing finalists, then that would be sort of encouraging the people, the girls back home, the women back home, you know, that, that, that it's a good thing. Women's cricket is a good thing. Yeah, and there's definitely, I, I wouldn't say, you know, there, there is, I think we're in quite a, really interesting position in global women's cricket where you do in a way have these very sort of strict hierarchies of England and Australia number one like the top two teams for investment and caliber then you've got maybe your India South Africa possibly yeah. uh, maybe the West the West Indies New Zealand and then you've got and then you've got another sort of tier below that with Bangladesh yeah. Pakistan going towards your Zimbabwe's and and the danger of course is that the gaps between those different s- spheres grows quite quickly depending on yeah culture and finance but but then on the flip side you look at the world cup that j- just been and there were more tight finishes and unexpected results yeah, yeah. um than than i think i've I, yeah that's ever happened and I, I was i think before the world cup and still um i i probably naturally take quite a cynical view of things and i was very worried about the this growing gap between the different spheres but the world cup was was incredible and Part of that, I think, is down to quite often you find women's cricket, women's sport sort of surprising you despite but not because of the existing structures. And I think we see that we saw that in the World Cup play out is that in a way, you know, New Zealand and South Africa shouldn't be as good as they are considering the relatively low investment in a game back home and the, the, the small playing base, etc. But they continue to outperform. And part of that is through things as well, like um, a lot of their individual players are able to play in the Women's Big Bash League in Australia, in the Women's 100 here in England. There's a new private tournament, the, the Fair Break Global Initiative, that's currently underway in the UAE. So for lots of individuals, they're able to, to compete or starting to be able to compete in international domestic tournaments mm. but the opportunities as a, as a as nations is still quite limited so we're almost at a you know women's cricket women's sport is almost always at a crossroads but it, it does feel like we 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 might see in the next 10 years even more inequality between the nations or we might see the whole game really rise together and and hopefully it'll be the latter can you tell us a bit more about uh, fair break isabel we say it's a private initiative which is a very good sign it means that people obviously think that um private sector obviously thinks women's cricket is a um, good investment opportunity well, well that's it is that i mean i think one of the things i've always found frustrating about covering women's sport or women's cricket is that it's it's common business sense is that relatively little investment in women's sport is going to get you 
far more returns than if if you want I don't know if you're a sponsor and you want to get involved in men's Premier League football well I mean I hope you have an extra billion pounds in your pocket and what you're going to get in return is probably you know you're, it's a saturated field at the moment but in women's sport you, you need relatively little um, investment to get a huge sort of a publicity goodwill and also the the caliber of the game has risen exponentially over the last five, ten years. And this is why things like the women's IPL are so frustrating that this hasn't occurred yet. And, and it's just seemed very short-sighted by the BCCI, the Board of Control of Cricket in India, that with quite little investment to get a women's IPL going, if you get women in India whose population is ridiculous playing cricket and getting involved and wanting to aspire to be the next IPL player you are going to have the most ridiculous boom in participation, sponsorship, investment, mon- money. It comes down to money. <laughs> um, women's sport, it might take it may take a few more years than, you know, your your two-year turnaround. But in a decade, five years' time, your returns are going to be ridiculous if you just invest that little bit into it. So this comes back to the Fair Break Global Initiative, which, yeah, it's, it's a private initiative, which I guess it's, again, trying to break the... The structures of the old traditional Commonwealth nations having a monopoly on, on cricket, and it's invited. It's got some of the best players from New Zealand, England, Australia. In I don't think India have been allowed to play. Actually, they didn't get um, non-compete clauses signed off. But they've got some of the big names of the existing game. But they've also got players from Thailand, Nepal, um, Brazil, the US, in individual players to come and participate in this tournament. Um, and it, I think it's it's been something that's been around the fair break sort of not not the tournament of the scale, but it's been around for about a decade or so. But the ICC, I think, have always been quite suspicious of it being a privately run tournament mm-hmm. and, and not con- condoned it, so to speak. But I think they have realised that this is this is a good thing that in a way perhaps the ICC should have been doing in the first place. But thank goodness that somebody else has decided to. Is there a move to bring in a women's IPL? I mean, I mean, I, I thought there was a sort of because it would clearly make a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, you look at those crowds and uh, and what what how much fun it is. The unbelievable athleticism of of, of the IPL. Sure, I don't understand why. I mean, you touched on the BCCI and all that, but it's sort of it's a no brainer, isn't it, to do a women's. Roger, I, I, I don't think I could say it any more, um, any better than you have just now. Like it's absurd and I think when did the men's IPL start 2008 I mean the women's IPL has been a proposal probably since well well, it's been talked of for the last five six seven years every every year it's Mm. oh we're working on a women's IPL and then you know as as did happen in COVID that became a very convenient excuse uh, not to have one but it it, absolutely it's a no-brainer and it's not even down to like a moral or ethical thing. It's like, if you want to make lots of money in the next few years, why on earth are you not starting a woman's IPL? Like, this is a business decision, to be honest. And I I, I, I won't hold back from saying it. The BCCI and not doing so are utter morons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like short-termism. And is it about... the? The IPL is, seems to have reached saturation point. Is it a bit about holding on to what you've, the revenues you're getting from the IPL and being afraid of diluting yeah, them? Yeah, the, the men's IPL right now is is a cash cow in the short term, hundred percent. And I think that's it. Is that it's this? It's that you're not going to get you're not going to get your immediate one year return from a women's IPL. It will take a few years. 
and and yes, short termism versus long termism. I mean, how many facets of life can we apply that to? Cricket being one of them. <laughs> going going back to the fair break um, tournament, I saw from Crick Info that a lot of England women seem to be playing for the Barmy Army women. It does um, look like fun, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I quite like, like their book. uniforms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that true? There's a Barmy Army women's team. They're, they're playing right. They're so playing I think now in this tournament, as far as I can I see. understand yeah. that the Barmy Army, in some way, might be sponsoring this team. And I, I think actually, I had a look at their Twitter account, and they've renamed themselves for the time being Heather Knight's Barmy Army. Um, <laughs> and it's great. But this, you know, what this is so great having. And I think the Barmy Army got really behind England during their their World Cup campaign. The Barmy Army is a huge, influential organisation, and also a really lovely part of, of English cricket and and you know not not because they determinedly have done so but it's, it's been largely a sort of associated with men's test cricket but over the last couple of years they've really embraced the fact and thought you know we've got a women's team as well and it, it can be just as fun to go mm. off and watch them on tour or support them um, from home and you know women's women's sport isn't all about one crusade we want to enjoy ourselves as well and I think the Barmy Army have really invested in that and um, mm. good on them. Yeah. Also, quite a substantial business now. The Barmy Army, yeah, quite a, quite a, yeah, quite a lot of. And again, business, it's a business decision. It's if, exactly. if, let's get some more women involved because mm-hmm. guess what? Women will want to get involved, and they'll start spending money um, that's going to you. <laughs> is, is cricket in the Commonwealth Games? It is. So yes, women's cricket is women's women's cricket. Yeah, and again, this this shows that women's cricket, in many ways, can be that that vehicle to 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 expose cricket to previously i guess untapped territories mm. namely the americas yeah. and china um so I, yeah. th- I think from what i understand so women's cricket will be in the 2022 commonwealth games mm. is that yes all right it's a commonwealth but the idea being this is almost like a, a pilot for it going into the olympics and i think the icc has put it forward for the los angeles olympics and hopefully we might well see cricket in the olympics soon and if we if cricket can break the markets of the americas uh, and even even china um, then who knows? Who knows what awaits? Yeah. What about America? Is it is it is it taking off in America? Uh, women's cricket to any degree? So the the American team um, were at the qualifiers when when COVID hit, and I think it, yeah. it's it's definitely it's. I don't think I wouldn't say so. It's it's taking off. It's not sort of a rocket that's gone into the stratosphere, but it's definitely <laughs> there is an idea that it's it is a huge market. And I think even in men's cricket, if you think about the the subcontinental diaspora in, in America, it, it's huge. And if the USA can can get a sort of a its infrastructure and it's had a lot of issues with its organisation mm. over the last few years, I, I think it's it's definitely full of potential. It is that we've uh, we've. We've discussed it on the podcast before with um, with Peter de la Pena in particular, yes. who's an ex- um, great expert on it. And all the effort and promotion seems to be top-down, seems to be devoted to replicating the IPL in the United States and concentrated on men. And this, and I would say this is frequently a mistake that has been made in, in women's cricket globally. And, and actually, I'll take Australia and England as quite an interesting sort of compare and contrast, is that... In 2014, England women became the first team in the world to become fully professional. It's a wonderful headline um, and, and a great, you know, good PR and very good for the 18 women that got those full-time professional contracts. Now, Australia are a few years later in getting their top team fully professional. But what they did instead is they started investing in the underbelly of women's cricket. They started making their domestic game partly professional, far 
far in front of the women's game in England. So in England, you had this top top down approach. Let's get the top team completely professional. Oh, but the the nineteenth best player in England got paid zip. So you had this complete fall off the cliff. Whereas in Australia, they started investing and in making that gap between the the top eighteen and the re- the next I don't know fifty sixty a lot smaller. So you've got this kind of the underbelly of Australian women's cricket was getting a lot lot firmer, a lot quicker, and that and now. What are we? We're 2022, so eight years on. You're starting to see that. The strength and depth yeah. in Australian cricket yeah. is what makes it the team that it is. If I look at that Australian team that won that World Cup, you could have taken out its far, four best players, like your Elise Perrys, your Meg Lannings, um, your Elisa Healy with that ridiculous century. They all could have not played and you would have had not equivalent, but just as good players that would have won that final. And I don't think there's any team in the world that you could have said the same thing for. Certainly not England. If we'd lost an Anya Shrubsall or a um, you know, a Nat Siver, who's next? Who knows? And I think that Australia made a concerted effort to widen that 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 base. You know, maybe it meant for the first few years they weren't quite as successful in the international levels as maybe England were. But now I expect Australia to dominate for quite some time. Can I, that contract for England uh, women, does it mean basically that they, um, I was, uh, someone's asking about, they don't have to have another job at all. They can just, they're full-time. Cricket. Yes. Is, so is I it, think. Is that what it is? So England women now, certainly, the, the women that play have central contracts definitely don't need another job. They're, they're fine financially. Yeah. There is certainly problematic terminology when we talk about full-time professionals in the domestic game. So I think England now, the ECB have given, I think it's 40, so 44 players, I think plus the 18 centrally contracted are now what are termed as full-time professionals. If you look at the actual sums they're being paid, that's not full-time. So I think it, yeah, the the lines that are coming out of what constitutes full-time is probably a little bit uh, untruthful, in my opinion. So you, you couldn't live year round. You could alone. live. You could live. Could you raise a family? Well, right. Could, could you, you raise a family? Could you? Yeah. yeah. How is your quality of life? Um, yeah. yeah. Not great. So if, if you look at the, the full time professionals, there are a lot of people that we class as full time who are earning under £20,000 a year, which, again, you could survive on that. But I, I would suggest that your quality of life and, and, and even deciding to go into this line of of work. I mean, there'll be a lot of people that will go, well, I, I can earn more than that doing many, 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 many other jobs than playing professional cricket. Mm. So I think, yes, there's a little way to go in terms of what constitutes full time and what is an attractive prospect to a, a talented teenage athlete deciding whether to take up professional sport or not. Yeah. yeah. Isabel, when we were, we've been talking quite extensively earlier to Ralph Nicholson about the history of women's cricket, and pattern she keeps uh, she kept referring to was that um, women's cricketers were basically middle class, upper middle class women who had supportive parents or husbands. Is does that still prevail today? Yes, absolutely, and I think that goes back to that that the, the full time professionals is that. If you have a family or parents or a partner that can can help you through 
then you're more likely to stick at it. But if you need, if you're by yourself and needing to earn a living um, and have a career prospect with, with nothing behind you, then cricket is a very unattractive prospect and therefore you're probably not going to choose it. And and cricket and it's sort of, cricket and classism is a huge talking point in men's cricket, but I think it's an, it should be an equally as big talking point in women's cricket. Um, and, and hopefully... This is where things like the 100 uh, come into it. I mean, I will withhold my personal views on the merits of the 100 men's and women's. But but it, it what is true is that it's, it's reaching a population, especially in the women's game, that will never been exposed to it before, notably sort of uh, low socioeconomic backgrounds in urban populations. And, and I think that's really important. Why are you withholding your views? I, th- I, I like the 100. I thought it was a really 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 uh, good innovative thing and although we were lacking some overseas players i just thought it was fantastic what what, what you know, your tone indicates you you less so <laughs> yeah I, I i think mainly it's a lot of what the 100 is achieving can achieve could be done without the disruption to the existing base of of, of cricket follower I, I don't i don't really understand why there needed to be a new format that an, an, an additional sort of if you like the men's game there's too much cricket already why yeah. completely polarised your existing base why can't you, you can use them alongside the new base that you're creating and and with the women's 100 in particular it, it was a cracking success I think a lot of it was uh, there's a lot of luck involved I think the, the the pandemic meant that the the men's and women's teams had bubbled together that there were double headers um, and the exposure of the women's game was, was almost by accident a lot greater <laughs> than it could have been uh, that, it, that it might might have been at the start. I, I just think that a lot of the reasons that the hundred happened were the, were the wrong ones. It, it was yeah um, when it could have been the same outcome could be achieved with much less investment um, or loss than than it happened. But but no, I'm I'm optimistic. I think I I do see what the hundred could do for both men's and women's cricket, but it could have been done in a lot less divisive way. <laughs> A lot of the early marketing of the 100 seemed to be premised on the idea that women were, frankly, too dumb to understand longer longer forms yeah. of cricket uh, and, and, and appreciate them. Yeah. Credit to the ECB, they realised that. Um, and I think right. there were there was a steep learning curve and, and, and it was being pointed out that... Was it, was it mums and children or something? I can't remember what yeah, the term was. But, um, but since then... A lot of the marketing has been if there's a men's player on a billboard, there's a women's player on the billboard. Um, we've heard a lot about the um, uh, the equal uh, prize money, etc. Still huge inequality in terms of the actual salaries of the players. Mm. That's another topic altogether. But in terms of the optics of it and trying to get women and men on a, an equal platform, at least visually, there's been some r- amazing strides. Just the fact that this is the first ever professional domestic tournament where a men's and women's team has been launched at the same time is a huge thing so yeah huge bonuses from it of course and 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 the women that played in it absolutely loved it and i think that's a huge thing as well is that every single woman that participated had the time of their lives and you know it was huge boom so i think that's and again another important thing is get the women involved who are playing so yeah many many positives many things wrong with it but hell a lot of good things happen for the wrong reasons, so I'm all on board. Can I ask one other thing? This is forgive my ignorance. I mean, I'm very struck watching rugby how often the third match official is a is a woman calling the shots on um, 
on GMO and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to remember, has, has one seen a woman umpire at international cricket level? I don't think we have. So I think I think there have I mean, been in ODIs recently, um, not yet at test level. But yeah. I, I mean, part of me is like, well, why on earth not? Why but not? It, no. it is. It's it's just because it's existing inequality that is being addressed and will take yeah. time. It takes, um, that's what I was going to say. It takes time, and you, yeah. you the idea that you'd have a woman sort of refereeing a big rugby match uh, twenty years ago would have been inconceivable. Right. Now you do. Nobody yeah, thinks and I think, and I, I fully expect in ten years' time we'll have women's um, umpires at men's and women's test level, and we will. It'll be the norm, and I, yeah. I, 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 and that's it. And again, with this goes back to the start: is that the women's cricket, whether it be playing, umpiring, administrating, coaching, it's on an upward trajectory. Sometimes I feel it could be a lot steeper trajectory than it is. But mm. this is one of the beautiful things of being a woman in sport is that it's not cyclical. It's not sort of, you know, I, sometimes I think if I was covering men's football, it's the same story every year and sometimes it gets mm. worse and you're covering more often than not sort of corrupt, corruption <laughs> and whatever. Whereas a women's sport, you're going somewhere. Like, yes, day to day, sometimes it can be very frustrating, but God, what a story to be on. And yeah. It, it is, yeah, it, it's definitely going somewhere. If you think of when the first women linesmen came into Premier League football uh, a few long, some time ago, the level of sort of sexist yeah. rubbish that was spoken about. But nobody would think twice now, that's all I mean. Assistant referees. Oh, yeah, there you go, yeah, terminology. But but you know what? This is what's great, is that... So, I, I mean, I grew up watching men's cricket, so I still... My, my norm is to say batsman and third man and, you know, mm. all my terminology is men. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to suddenly one day be perfect and switch over to gender neutral terminology. But if we can say, if we can think about it and then you have a quite a, a lighthearted, oh, maybe it could be deep third, long third, and maybe it could be batter. And it doesn't have to be. So often our conversations around this publicly are so contentious and so sort of it's either right or wrong. And it's like, well... Why can't we just chat about it? Hmm. And you'll, we'll end up in the same place in the end. At least I hope so. Everything's very polar at the moment. And it'll slowly, you know, it'll change. Yeah, it will. It will. Um, and in the end, again, sometimes it's a bit slower than it should be. But we'll get there. Isabel, do you see any prospect of there being professional mixed teams at any <sighs> level? To be honest... No, but mainly because do we do we want to have that? Mm. Like in in a way, you know, women, women. So women and men are we can get to equality, but we're not going to get to sameness. We are different, physiologically, psychology, whatever. And and you are not going to have a, a woman, a comparable man and woman, where the woman is going to hit the ball as hard, bowl as fast, run as fast, whatever. Yes, there will be some women that we really really. But there'll be this sort of exception rather than the norm. Like if you put just the your your average man, your average woman, there are physiological differences. So why should they if you if they're competing together, it's 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 it feels like it'll never be the spectacle or the competition that that sport gives. Sport one of the wonderful things about sport is having that level playing field and not knowing what's going to happen at the end. But actually it's more why can't we appreciate the different qualities that genders produce so for example test cricket i actually think that women have the capacity to produce much more exciting 
interesting and perhaps better test cricket than men. Because test cricket doesn't rely on somebody smashing sixes out of the park. A lot more is about perseverance, about yeah. your mindset, about your mm -hmm. technique. And we're already seeing in... So if I take endurance sport, for example, and I'm talking like really, really endurance sport about sort of, you know, the, the ultra marathons that go off for 100 miles over X number of days. We're starting to see actually women, whether it be psychologically or physiologically, uh, are starting to win these things once they've been given the opportunity because it doesn't rely on strength and power. It's actually a whole different part of the physiology that it's it's relying upon that women actually might have be better at if given the opportunity. So I think test cricket is if women are given the opportunity to play and it's more reliant on that sort of that, that in, the, the mindset and the endurance, it could be incredible. So, so why not? Again, it goes back to opportunity. I understand that 2020 needed to be prioritised over the last decade just to kind of get it out there. But now we're starting to see women play more test cricket from different nations. And it, given the opportunity, I think it could be a really beautiful game. It's the same with elite mountaineering, actually. Some of the very, very, very best mm. have been women. The best, yeah. hardest, most uh, uh, courageous mountaineers have been, have been women. So I think there's a generalisation that women are weaker than men. Yes, in some facets of physiology, women are biologically weaker than men. But in other facets they might actually be stronger. and yeah. But we've just never really given it the chance to, to explore it. Um, and I will always maintain that I had a lost cricketing career as a night watchman, or a night watcher, maybe that's probably what I need to call it now. <laughs> that was my... Because I, 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 I love test cricket, and I played county-level cricket, got into the England sort of set-up, but never got the opportunity to play anything more than two-day cricket. So I've never played long-form cricket, and you know, I, I, in jest, I would have been a, a wonderful long form cricketer, but I would have loved the opportunity to have played long form cricket because, uh, you know, yeah, I may have been better, but so may thousands of girls have been better at it than than the bish bash bosh. Do you want to talk about your cricket? I was reading in in what you've done. I mean, it's it's rather lovely what 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 you've done. Can you talk about that a bit? I have a, a color colorful cricket history, I guess. Well. I guess I'm I'm quite unusual in that my um I was an expat kid. I didn't live in England till I came back for for university and spent a lot of my childhood in the Netherlands. Um, I do not have an ounce of Dutch blood inside me, <clears throat> but I my 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 dad we'd lived there for long enough that I I qualified to to be eligible to play cricket for the Netherlands. I, I'm pretty sure at this point so this was early 2000s that they they tried to find eleven teenage girls that could hold a bat and I was one of them um and and so and but my introduction was playing boys club cricket in the Netherlands weirdly my my first love I was just a sporty kid my first love was football I got to the age of 13 and at that time both in Holland and in England you women girls couldn't play with boys anymore so the oh. club I was playing at where I was having a great time they said I'm really sorry but you, you can no longer be part of the club or you can't play football here because these are the rules but uh, why don't you play cricket? Because there's no rules about not girls not playing with boys. And I was the only girl in the team, absolutely loved it. Then, you know, suddenly I had no idea that there was an England women's cricket team, let alone a Netherlands women's cricket team. And um, yeah, played a bit of cricket out there and then came back to England and played for Somerset and then Middlesex. And <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was, I was good. I guess I'm a, I'm a good ball sports athlete, but 
never amazing and and just yeah really enjoyed it and then I think as I said at the start found out that I was better at talking rubbish about cricket than actually playing it I think so but is is that is that rule about soccer still in force I didn't quite catch that no no it's not so uh, so there's two facets to that so first of all there's the girls couldn't play mixed football soccer um beyond the age of 13 but also it was more the point that there wasn't a local women's or girls football team for me I think I went, I was directed towards a women's football club that was, you know, an hour away and they were all 10 years older than me. And my parents were like, no, that's not going to happen. But I think that was that was 15 years ago. Mm. Uh, There's a I think the rules have changed. And B, there's if you're a girl wanting to play football or cricket or football, there's just girls teams now. Um, And and also in society that that taboo has kind of changed. Like, I mean take nothing away from my parents but 15 years ago the mindset was slightly different if your daughter wanted to play football it was a little bit more ooh, actually maybe you should play hockey or something um whereas now i think that it's not it's not non-existent but it's that that kind of taboo or that societal attitudes is, is receding are receding you play at university is about at all I, I i played a little bit i was on there was the uh, mcc universities um mm sort of academy where I, I trained there but at, at that point I was playing that was sort of the height of my cricket career I guess I was playing Somerset and in the England um, setup so unfortunately didn't have have time to play university cricket as well and and also the small matter of trying to not fail exams which this is a very inconvenient game cricket when it combines with university terms don't worry about that very different in the 50s and even the 60s <laughs> yes. it's pretty much a lot of talented cricketers are more or less given an oral exam you know yes oh i wish, and, and I told, wish. yes and name a means of transport yes as it might be um i'd like to ask you briefly about um pakistan australia series which you, oh. which you you covered um, was that your first visit to Pakistan? It was. So I, I went out to to watch the um, yeah Pakistan Australian men's team touring Pakistan for the first time in twenty four years um, earlier in in February March this year, and it was. I am so glad I got out. I only went for the first test because it was it was. Um, I'm not saying it was a jolly, but there was there was no professional reason for me to be there, being neither Australian nor Pakistani. But it was a, a happy detour on the way back from the ashes to to the UK, and a part of it, to be honest, was spurred on by the fact that I was meant to be going out to cover England men's and women's in Pakistan in October last mm-hmm. year, which was unceremoniously dumped, and I was yeah. so I was on a personal level just really upset. Because selfishly, I just wanted to go to Pakistan. Um, I talked earlier about I was an expat kid growing up, and I I lived for four years in in Damascus in in Syria. Love the Middle East. Go back as much as I can. Not not to Syria at the moment, but the Lebanon, Jordan, um, Egypt, and I'd never been to Pakistan. But I I knew again. It's it's about perceptions. Is that yes, you you look at some of these countries, and yes, there are huge security issues, and you do worry, but my my view was that it, it, once you get there, it it's in the Pakistan cricket board's interests to bend over backwards to make sure it succeeds. Mm. Um, from a purely just take away sort of whether you know whether you're concerned about your own security or not, it's not in their interest for something to happen. And and that's exactly how it played out. We got there, 
and the security was absurd. I think I managed to count 12 different types of security personnel from all the different armed forces to <laughs> the rangers and the dolphins and the military police and this and that. There were six different dummy convoys. You know, they pulled out the stops because it wasn't so much about this tour being successful. It was a precedent that it set that if this tour could go off well without a glitch and it was proven that Pakistan is a perfectly good place to play cricket internationally, then this is going to pave the way. And that's why it was so disappointing for it for the, the, the way in which the England tours, oh, men and women, were, were dumped. Yeah. And uh, the, the one thing I, I would say that that has, you know, I think the Australian tour has it went really well, and I think it's England hopefully are going to go there for their T Twenty and then their Test series, the men later this year. And I think that that's brilliant. The one thing that hasn't changed is that there's no fixtures yet for for England women or Australia women to go to Pakistan. And I think when the the men's tour to Pakistan was was cancelled, not enough was talked about cancellation of the women's side because the men were only going to go there for four days but for the women they were going to go there for the two weeks and it was going to be the first time ever that england women had been to pakistan it's not about whether they'd been there in sort of the 90s or the early 2000s ever and women's cricket in pakistan you know it's been a travesty for the men's cricket team not to have had international cricket really for a decade or so but they have a history 1992 beyond that etc women's cricket in pakistan they only really started competing at an international level in the early 2000s, or sorry, actually early 2010s, by which point there was no international cricket really in Pakistan. So they've never had, they don't have a history. They don't have anything to hark back to. This, this is the, the beginning of Pakistan women's cricket and it didn't happen last year. And it, it's not at a moment happening in the foreseeable future. And, and I, I really, I think Pakistan cricket board are really trying. We've had, um, we've heard things about their PSL, the Pakistan Super League that they've got for men wanting to launch a women's one, and wanting to host, etc. And 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 they they competed well in the in the World Cup just gone, but I think women's cricket needs to do a lot more to to, to go to Pakistan, in my view. Going back to what we were saying earlier, might give some opportunities for Afghan women in exile. I mean, Richard's written uh, marvellously about Pakistan himself. And I mean, I wondered what you thought of the... Were you in Lahore for the first test? No, we were in um, Rawalpindi and Islamabad. Um, so, so, yeah, unfortunately, I, I, need, I needed to, to get back to the UK. So I didn't miss the, the Lahore um, and Karachi um, legs, which hopefully I'll, I'll go back in, in December. Um, Raw Pindi is quite an intimate ground, isn't it? It's, it's a lovely ground. It was. Yeah. It's it's quite mm. small, but it's um, yeah, it was gorgeous. And we went up the rooftop and everything. I mean, honestly, that that's the other thing is that you know, sometimes I felt quite awkward because I was just there, and, and by just being there, the sort of the hospitality and the gratefulness of just being there was it, it was just incredible. But it's a you know, it's a very hospitable culture. Um, yeah. And we we got to experience, you know, the the cuisine, the sort of downtown Islamabad. It's I oh, honestly, and, and the, but the stadium, yeah, it's it's a lovely little stadium. Um, I was unfortunate, but the, the, the test was pretty shocking. Um, it's <laughs> well, just it's a, a sedated, a sedated it was, pitch, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was yes. a dead track. Um, oh, a complete draw, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. It was. I think by the afternoon of day three, 
when I suddenly because <laughs> on the first on the first two days the whole sense of occasion and sort of the fact that you were there kind of got you through. And then about day three, I sort of you know you're on your commentary stint where you, there's only so many ways you can describe a dot ball. <laughs> but I suddenly was just like, this is actually awful. Only <laughs> about four wickets fell. It was something like that, was it? it was oh, a tiny it was. Number. Yes. Um, <laughs> if it hadn't been that sort of first test, it would go. Yeah, I'd have got. It would disappeared from my mind pretty quickly. <laughs> Isabel, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you and uh, there's so much more we actually could have talked about but you've given us a great perspective on the whole state of women's cricket indeed the whole state of women's sport thank you very very much for joining us it's been a pleasure and i i could happily have stayed for many more hours well, perhaps <laughs> you'll come back for second innings as as others have done yeah thank you very much thank you both on which note it's goodbye for me richard heller in southeast london which has become sunnier and uh, goodbye from me, Roger Alton. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.